is a Rabble Podcast Network show. New voices in your head. It's Radio Free Radio. Hello and welcome to Alert Radio for people who want to change the world. We're at CanadianDimension.com. I'm Jeff Hughes. On the program today, a conversation with Sid Schneid, co-chair of Independent Jewish Voices, conducted by executive producer of Alert, Saigonic. And I'll be speaking with Dennis Pilon, member of the Canadian Dimension Collective. We'll also have Music is the Weapon and a lot more. And now the alert headlines for February 4th, 2010. Federal Environment Minister Jim Prentice says Canada risks becoming the international poster child of unsound resource development if it doesn't do a better job of developing the tar sands. Prentice told a Calgary business audience that the Conservative government supports continued expansion of the tar sands, but that large energy companies need to do more as Canada seeks to reach its targets under the Copenhagen Climate Change Accord. Prentice announced on Saturday that Canada has committed to the United Nations that it will cut its carbon emissions by 17% from 2005 levels over the next 10 years. But he stopped short of saying when corporations involved in the tar sands will actually see federal rules and regulations that will guide them through the process of reducing greenhouse gases. He said he won't announce any standards for the energy sector until the United States finalizes its position. In a move expected to heighten tension in the Middle East, the Obama administration is quietly expanding its land and sea-based missile shield system in the Persian Gulf region. The U.S. is dispatching Patriot defense missiles to Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Kuwait. In addition, the U.S. is keeping two ships in the Gulf capable of shooting down missiles. The White House says the move is aimed at deterring an attack by Iran. In addition, Washington is helping Saudi Arabia to create a 30,000-strong force to protect oil installations and other infrastructure. Israel has revealed it has reprimanded two top army officers for authorizing an artillery attack on a UN compound in Gaza last year. In the attack, the compound was set ablaze by white phosphorus shells. During the 22-day conflict last year, media pictures showed incendiary shells raining down on a UN compound. The Israeli army has not specifically said the rules of engagement were broken over the use of white phosphorus. Israeli government spokesman Mark Regev said the military was investigating about 150 allegations. Both Israel and Hamas have until the 5th of February to respond in detail to the UN General Assembly Assembly's request for independent investigations into the Gaza assault. Israel's Justice Ministry has announced no soldiers will be indicted for shooting an American activist last March in the West Bank. The activist, Tristan Anderson, was critically injured when Israeli's soldiers fired a high-velocity tear gas canister directly at his head in March. Anderson was taking part in a weekly non-violent protest against Israeli separation wall in the West Bank village of Nilin. Haitian authorities have arrested 10 Baptist missionaries from the United States after they were caught attempting to smuggle 33 Haitian children out of Haiti. Haiti's Prime Minister Max Bellerive accused the missionaries of the illegal trafficking of children. Child welfare groups expressed outrage over the group's attempt, saying some of the children had parents who survived the January 12th earthquake. The missionaries say they were only trying to rescue abandoned and traumatized children. The children have been taken to an orphanage in Haiti. The controversial security firm Z, formerly known as Blackwater, is under investigation by the U.S. Justice Department to determine if it bribed Iraqi government officials after the fatal shooting of 17 civilians in Baghdad 2007 at the Niso Square Massacre. The inquiry is the latest fallout from the deadly shooting spree by Black 
water guards in Baghdad's Niso Square in September 2007, which stoked outrage and bitter resentment against the U.S. The Justice Department's fraud section is investigating if officials at Blackwater paid secret bribes of $1 million to Iraqi government officials to persuade them to allow the company to keep operating in the country after the massacre. Iraqi doctors are demanding a full medical investigation into the dramatic rise of cancer rates in their country. Doctors believe depleted uranium used by the U.S. military equipment in the 2003 invasion is spreading cancer throughout the population. Cancer rates in the province of Babil have risen almost tenfold in just three years. In 2004, 500 cases of cancer were diagnosed there. That figure rose to almost 1,000 two years later. By 2008, the number of cases had increased sevenfold to 7,000. The Chinese government has presented a plan to reform the way land can be seized for redevelopment. The state news agency reported that draft proposals would ban the use of violence and coercive tactics to force evictions. The changes would allow people to appeal against their eviction. In addition, compensation or at least the value, the market value would be mandatory for anyone losing land or property. The proposed reforms follow public outcry in China over alleged abuse and violent forced evictions by some local governments and developers. And those were the alert headlines for February 4, 2010. Alert Radio is the official podcast of Canada's leading progressive political magazine, Canadian Dimension. If you'd like to order a subscription to Canadian Dimension, go to our website at canadiandimension.com or pick up our latest issue on newsstands today. And now, Around the Left for February 4th, 2010. The West Central Women's Resource Center in Winnipeg is hosting a fundraising concert and silent auction on February 5th. The concert features the bands Nathan and Nova, and all proceeds go towards the West Central Women's Resource Center's relocation project. The tickets are 15 or $7 for low-income attendees and are available at the West End Cultural Center, Music Trader, and Organic Planet. The fundraiser begins at 7.30. China, Japan, and the U.S. together in crisis? This question sets the agenda for a public forum held at the University of Toronto on February 5th. Panelists include Ho Fung Hung, R. Taggart Murphy, Johanna Brenner, and Sam Ginden. This event is sponsored by Socialist Register, Socialist Project, and the Center for Social Justice. The discussion begins at 7.30 on February 5th in the Koffler Auditorium at the University of Toronto. On February 13th, there will be a fundraising screening of Under Rich Earth, Malcolm Rogue's documentary about the struggle between the global mining corporation Ascendant and the people of Ecuador's Intag Valley. Proceeds from this event will help pay for the making of the film and to support two Ecuadorian community organizations that are featured in the film. DVD copies of the film will also be available to purchase. The screening begins at 6.30 p.m. on February 13th at the Bloor Cinema in Toronto. A Q&A with director Malcolm Rogue will follow the screening. Stand Canada, a youth-led anti-genocide group in Canada, is hosting a cross-country film tour of Yui Ball's film, Darfur. The film tells the story of a group of journalists who visit the war-torn Darfur region of Sudan. The film tour will reach Montreal, Vancouver, Ottawa, and Edmonton on February 4th, London, Guelph, Hamilton on the 8th, and Kingston and Winnipeg on the 11th. To find more information on the film tour and stand, visit www.standcanada.org. Throughout the history of Canada's residential school program, over 150,000 children were forcibly removed from their communities by the government and put into these schools. More than 50,000 of these children never survived this ordeal, and their bodies have not been accounted for. On Sunday, February 7th, there will be a public rally in Toronto to demand that all churches involved with residential schools and the Canadian government fully disclose the death and burial information of these children. Meet at 10 a.m. at the Metropolitan United Church. Visit www.hiddenfromhistory.org for more information. 
On Tuesday, February 9th, a public panel is being held in Halifax to discuss what did and did not happen in Copenhagen and to answer the question, where do we go from here if we want to live on a healthy and safe planet? Panelists include members of Dalhousie's Marine and Environmental Law Institute and the Sierra Club. This public forum is being held at St. Andrew's United Church Hall at 7.30. And that's Around the Left for February 4th, 2010. This is Alert Radio for people who want to change the world at CanadianDimension.com. I'm Jeff Hughes, and I'm speaking now with Dennis Pilon, who teaches political science at the University of Victoria and is a member of the Canadian Dimension Collective. Welcome back to Alert Radio, Dennis. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back again. Last week, the Winnipeg Free Press columnist William Neville wrote an article titled Harper really is dangerous. He was referring to the Prime Minister's decision last December to prorogue Parliament rather than face questions about the Conservative government cover-up of prisoner abuse in Afghanistan. Dennis Pilon, do you think Harper is really dangerous? Absolutely. I don't, you know, there's never been any question in my mind that, you know, Harper is, is a very dangerous political operative because he, he's different, you know, than the old-style brokerage politicians. I mean, this guy is an ideologue. He's got an agenda, and he's got a long-term vision for it. I mean, he uh, has been, you know, very carefully, you know, portraying himself as a warm, cuddly guy with his sweaters and likes to play some tunes with, uh, you know, with national orchestras. But, I mean, really, he has got an extremist agenda, far-right agenda, taking his cues from the Fraser Institute and other groups like this. And he is waiting for his opportunity with a majority government to be able to ram that stuff through. Well, I'd like to uh, investigate if there is a common thread to the recent actions of the Harper government uh, in these following examples. I'll just uh, list some of them, starting with the very rough treatment of whistleblowers, specifically Canadian diplomat Richard Colvin, who brought national attention to Canada's involvement uh, with torture. Well, I mean, what's interesting here is, you know, again, I mean, in a way, you know, we don't want to characterize the conservatives as being, you know, too far out there, because in a lot of ways, they share a great deal of their economic agenda with the liberals. I mean, both parties are the parties of corporate Canada. Both parties are, you know, neoliberal and for free trade and all that kind of stuff. The thing about the liberals is that the liberals are a bit more disciplined by the idea that there's a democratic process and, you know, try to bring these things through, at least by getting some civil society support. Whereas what's interesting about the Harper conservatives is they take their playbook from the Republicans in the United States and their attitude is, you know, if you can't win outright, you vilify your opponents. And so the Colvin situation is a really great example where, you know, I think everybody recognized this, this fellow is a hardworking, public-oriented kind of figure. He's got no axe to grind. So to turn around and try to politicize the evidence that he was offering uh, really backfired on the Harper conservatives. I mean, it really brought together a community that normally will not come out and say anything political, the diplomatic corps. But under attack, you know, they said, look at what we're dealing with here. We need to get together. And, and respond to this. Not surprisingly, of course, Harper's tried to change the channel on that by turning our attention to other issues, Olympics, or what he's going to come up to next, which, of course, is the Senate. Well, you mentioned that was an example. I'd like to uh, list a couple of more. Uh, the emasculation of institutions like the International Center for Human Rights and Democratic Development that used to operate at arm's length and independent of the ruling party um, Yes, knocking them down for supporting groups not approved of by the Harper government. Or consider this, the removing of funding for, for uh, two organizations like the Church Coalition Aid Group, Kairos, which Immigration Minister Jason Kenney linked to criticisms of Israel, uh, which, and, uh, which seen by many as an obvious warning to other aid groups. Um, your comments? Well, again, I mean, this is part of a very long-term strategy by conservative think tanks, 
uh, you know, groups like the Frontier Center uh, and uh, the Fraser Institute and the Atlantic Institute for Market Studies, you know, who have acted as a kind of brains trust for the Harper conservatives. Uh, and, their, and their thing has been we need to cut off funding for these different groups that the liberals have established as a way of weakening their power in civil society. Uh, these groups have been very good at raising the public profile of issues that Canadians should be taking seriously. Again, it's not that the liberals haven't done the same thing, i.e., you know, give money to groups that they think uh, will raise issues that the liberals want to see a government respond to, but they haven't done it in such an obvious, you know, kind of clunky fashion uh, as the as the conservatives had. And to their credit, the liberals have seen money go to groups that aren't necessarily exactly liberal supporters. Uh, and in that sense, they, they have sort of observed some of the niceties of uh, uh, that these things should operate at arm's length. So, you know, but the conservatives will defend themselves by saying, well, we're just taking money away from liberal front groups and giving them to the conservative front groups. I think the difference is, is that the conservative groups really are just front groups. I mean, they're, they're ideologues. Whereas I think a lot of the money that went to these groups that the liberals sponsored uh, you know, we're actually nice folks who really believe what they're doing. Well, Dennis, uh, brace yourself because we have a laundry list of examples here that we'd like to get your thoughts on. Um, the negotiation of CETA, the uh, Comprehensive Economic Trade Agreement with the European Union, which has just been done in secret, uh, Harper visiting over over in Europe. Uh, this will cost, speculated by many on the left, Canadian workers' jobs and allow European corporations to sue Canadian governments for passing environmental regulations or establishing new public services. Anything governments here might do to threaten current or future profits, much like we've seen with NAFTA. Uh, furthermore, ceasing aid to the UN Relief and Works Agency, one of the, fir the, the first Western country to cut off uh, aid to Palestinian refugees in Gaza, the West Bank, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria. Um, I've got one more for you. Canada's refusal to sign the UN Declaration of Indigenous Rights, one of only three countries in the world's world who have refused to do so. Now, all of this, mind you, has happened uh, in the last 12 months or so, so, Dennis Pilon, why do the what do these examples say about our government, and what common values are they expressing? Well, I mean, they they clearly don't express, uh, I think, the consensus of Canadians. Uh, they exp and they don't even necessarily, I think, reflect the views of a lot of conservatives. Uh, again, you know, Harper and his bunch are really extreme. Uh, it, it shows the dysfunction of our parliamentary system that a party with 38 percent of the vote and a minority of the seats in the House can do such draconian policy changes uh, without any kind of vote in the House of Commons, without any kind of recourse, while the majority of, 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 uh, of the legislators don't have any say over it at all. Now, having said that, I mean, I think the Liberals probably would also sign on to this uh, uh, economic uh, treaty, uh, because that's, that's where they really do agree with the Conservatives. But they probably would shy off some of the foreign policy policy stuff, particularly, uh, you know, the Israel do or die attitude that the conservatives seem to have. I mean, overall, what we're seeing is that those who said, ah, don't worry about Harper, it's just a minority government, are being shown to be wrong. Uh, this man is using all, every inch of power uh, that he has, despite the fact that he's got a minority government, to put through things that clearly a lot of people don't like. Well, do you think that he'll get away with it? Is he paying a political price now? And if not, why not? Well, you know, the conservatives are funny that way. I mean, again, you know, talking about the Harperites, you know, people like Tom Flanagan at the University of Calgary or Kenny. I mean, these people are ideologues. And their attitude is on the one hand, yes, let's try to look warm and cuddly and get ourselves that majority government. On the other hand, let's tear up and destroy a bunch of stuff as much as we can so that if we do lose power, uh, it'll be too, it'll be very difficult to undo the damage that we do. So, and that's what we're seeing right now, is that we're seeing uh, a group that's, that's operating on two fronts. On the one hand, they're saying, let's try to get to that majority government. On the other hand, let's try to do as much damage, let's try to inflict as much con of, of our crazy conservatism on the country uh, as we possibly can. I've got one more question for you here, Dennis. Can they be stopped? Well, this is actually a trickier question than I think it sounds, because, of course, uh, to stop these conservatives, the first response of, of particularly different commentators will be, well, we need to rally behind the liberals uh, to stop these conservatives. It doesn't sound to, very uh, promising know, from what you've told us this afternoon, to get well, behind the liberals. Be. 
unfortunately, it won't make it won't make the change that people want because in many ways. Uh, you know, the liberals, particularly under Ignatiev, uh, are the mirror image of the conservatives. They just are classier uh, in terms of how they proceed. Uh, you know, things like shame, you know, seem to affect them a little bit more than the conservatives. But in terms of the policies that they'll push through, you know, we saw a lot of nasty stuff go on under Kretchen and Martin, uh, you know, stuff that they said they weren't going to do, you know, when they ran for office. Uh, so it's really important that people don't lose sight of that. But unless we send a contingent of politicians, and you know, I think the best options we have are you know, new Democrats and bloc members who I think are much more principled on some of these issues, there'll be nothing holding the liberals from going you know, completely in the direction of the conservatives. So one, it's important uh, that we, we defeat the conservatives, but not at the cost of giving a blank check to the liberals. And here, I think, is really the big story that a lot of people are missing. Voter turnout has been falling precipitously. The number of voters turning out to, to vote, I mean, it's not that the conservatives have gained in popularity. They're just the last ones standing. We need to find a way to mobilize that almost 50% of the Canadian electorate who've given up on elections and electoral politics. And what we know from some of the critical work on electoral turnout is that a lot of those people are working class. And a lot of those people have stopped participating because they don't believe that they can get the results that they want. So that, again, I think points to a, a, a positive, you know, silver lining here, that there's an audience out there that wants to hear the kind of message that Canadian Dimension and other progressives are offering. And if people believe they can get that in politics, we might be able to get more of them out to the polls. Dennis Pilon, I'd like to thank you for joining us today on Alert Radio. Thanks for having me. We'll have you back again. The Canadian Jewish Congress was established over 90 years ago and through most of its history has been regarded as the Parliament of the Jews of Canada. A few years ago, a new organization was established, calling itself Independent Jewish Voices, and an angry battle has erupted between the old Jewish Congress and the upstart IJV. And it's now involved the venerable United Church of Canada, we have on the phone from his office in Vancouver, Sid Schneid, co-chair of the Independent Jewish Voices. That's one of his hats. Welcome once again to Alert Radio, Sid Schneid. Thank you, Sai. Now, Sid, uh, tell us why the people who founded the IJV decided that a new national organization was required. The situation has arisen over... Well, I guess since the birth of Israel, but it has become critical in the last 40 years, I guess, with the occupation of the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, the situation is such that the existing organizations within the Jewish community have become completely dominated by hardline Zionists who uh, insist on playing an apologetic role in relation to Israel and everything it's doing. And... For uh, quite a long time, uh, there were elements of the Jewish community that were concerned about what was going on, but acquiesced to this domination by th these organizations. But in recent years, people have really become concerned about what's going on in Israel and Palestine, and Canada as well, as a result of some of the fallout from what's happening over there and decided that the only way to respond adequately was to put together an organization of like-minded people within the Jewish community to respond collectively. Okay, now, how did this rupture between the IJV and the Canadian Jewish Congress happen? Uh, give our I, listeners... I wouldn't exactly characterize it that way, and in your introductory comments, you uh, characterize it as a battle. I would say this is one-sided battle. <laughs> okay. Well, we how does it... are raising issues of ethics and morality with regard to the politics and actions of the state of Israel internally in relation to its treatment of non-Jewish uh, residents of Israel, as well as its occupation of the West Bank and Gaza. And the degree to which we do that, it appears to increasingly enrage organizations like the Canadian Jewish Congress and B'nai B'rith, which are absolutely apologetic for about everything and anything that Israel does. Well, why won't they uh, accept uh, 
alternative point of view on this? I mean, why they seem to be uh, obsessed with this. I think that's an understatement. They are enraged. They're enraged at the idea of our existence. They call us self-haters. They call us anti-Semites. And basically anybody who is not a thousand percenter in support of everything and anything that Israel does is castigated and smeared and slurred, and that's the situation we find ourselves in. Well, what about the uh, United Church of Canada? How do they get involved in this? When we were planning our founding meeting uh, about almost two years ago now, uh, the uh, IJV, or its precursor, uh, made an application to the United Church asking for some funds to help us get rolling. And they uh, gave us a grant, as they do to other uh, social justice organizations, of $900 to help defray the cost of uh, mounting that founding meeting in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And when the United Church of Canada found out about this, they went ballistic and accused uh, the United Church of having it been at uh, best sloppy and worst tantamount to criminal in uh, having any relation with us whatsoever. And from what we can tell, the uh, internal uh, uh, mechanism, the administration of the United Church, did its utmost to uh, quiet the concerns of the Canadian Jewish Congress, but this uh, rage rose again recently when the uh, Canadian Jewish Congress found out that two of its ministers in Montreal were working with uh, members of Independent Jewish Voices to sponsor a speech by Mark Ellis, who is a dissident Jewish theologian from Texas, who uh, Independent Jewish Voices was sponsoring on a national speaking tour. So once again, we were smeared and castigated on the uh, pages of the National Post at the behest of Canadian Jewish Congress, which demanded a meeting with the United Church and demanded that the Church eat crow. Yes, uh, Bernie Farber, the CEO of the Congress, uh, has uh, said just recently that the Congress and the United Church of Canada are at a breaking point, which is are his words, over the church's friendly relationship with IJV, and of course he's called the uh, uh, IJV a fringe group that spews vile, and this is a quote, anti-Zionist rhetoric. Uh, your comment on this? Uh, it's interesting that they are, seem to be so uh, apoplectically concerned about this fringe group. They've attributed almost magical powers to us, and the press release that they put out today describing the meeting they had with the United Church over this issue, they held us responsible for the fact that there was a resolution on Palestine that went to the uh, United Church Congress in Kelowna. I wish that we were that powerful (laughs) and that capable of getting things done. What they're refusing to acknowledge is that the reason there was such a resolution in front of the National Conference of the United Church is that the members of the Church are concerned, as they should be, about the situation in Israel and Palestine. Well, now we have a statement from uh, a Bruce Gregerson, a spokesman for the United Church of Canada, repudiating that organization's, at least that's the way I read it, repudiating that organization's relationship with the IJV, saying and uh, I think these are his words, that it now chooses not to partner with the IJV on any further activity and does not encourage uh, any group to do so. And that well, We think that this is a very unfortunate choice of response on the part of the United Church. First of all, uh, if you get down to the uh, technical mechanics of this, it's not clear that the United Church is a partner with the Canadian Jewish Congress. But the way it's phrased there is that uh, the United Church is reinforcing some kind of partnership with Canadian Jewish Congress while it's distancing himself from us. We think this is unfortunate because it amounts to an attempt to appease the uh, uh, Canadian Jewish Congress, which is bullying and swaggering around and demanding all kinds of uh, contrition from uh, the United Church. And it, does, and, and it does sound as if the Congress has thoroughly intimidated the United Church from supporting any organization that's critical of the politics of the state of Israel. Uh, and if that's so, as it appears to be, 
Is that the end of the story? Well, we have uh, communicated our uh, displeasure over the way the church has handled this to the church uh, administration. We think that it was a mistaken uh, uh, attempt to placate the uh, Canadian Jewish Congress will get them nowhere. The irony is the Canadian Jewish Congress's policy positions are almost diametrically opposed to those of the church, whereas ours are very closely congruent to those of the church when it comes to Israel and Palestine. Rather than separating themselves from us as an organization, we think that they should be standing up and expressing solidarity to us, and this is what we told them in so many words. That's what we told the church. But uh, the good news is that it's going much further than that. Regardless of the decisions that are being made or not made at the heart of the church uh, bureaucracy in Toronto, the congregations of the church are increasingly getting involved in the issue of Palestine. They are acting on the decision that was made in Kelowna in August at the National Conference of the Church, which called on congregations to take up the crisis and to do everything in their power, including, if necessary, a boycott, divestment, and sanctions, in order to bring this ongoing crisis to an end. Mm-hmm. So there's more to the story yet to unfold. Absolutely. Okay, Sid Schneid, thank you very much. Sid Schneid, co-chair of Independent Jewish Voices uh, from his office in Vancouver. This is Mitch Podolik. This is Music is a Weapon. And on today's show, a very interesting approach to listening to international hero of music, Bob Dylan. Probably nobody, nobody else last century has been as influential musically as Dylan, culturally as Dylan. He was quite the character. I remember the very first time I heard a Dylan song. It was at the Bohemian Embassy Coffee House in Toronto and some guy said, this is a song by this New York writer named Bob Dylan. And he sang the most misogynist song you could ever imagine. And it was a, it was a very strange kind of experience because I had just joined the Young Socialist and I wasn't going to listen to that stuff. But Dylan obviously is one of the most articulate spokespeople in the world about the state of the world. I mean, he has been that many times. And today's show is about that. So here is... A bluegrass man, Tim O'Brien, probably one of the leading bluegrasses, bluegrass artists on the entire earth, playing Masters of War. Come, you masters of war, ye that build the big guns. can see through your mask You that never done nothing But built to destroy You play with my world Like it's your little toy Put a gun in my hand And you hide from my eyes And you turn Fasten all the triggers For the others to fire Then you sit back and watch While the death cat gets high You hide in your mansion While all the young people's blood Flows out of their bodies And is buried in the mud Strong the worst fear that could ever be heard. Fear to bring children into this world. You threaten my baby. 
And your heart worth the blood that runs in your Question Is your money that good? Will it buy your forgiveness? Do you think that it could? Well, I think you will find when your death takes its toll. All the money you made will not buy back your soul. That was Tim O'Brien with Masters of War. You know, the thing about Dylan's music is that it's so, it reaches for so many different influences that, which leads it to a place where it can be interpreted in so many different ways. And uh, here's a really interesting interpretation of the times they are changing. Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you'd better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are a-changing Come writers and critics who prophesize with your pen And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming For the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing Come senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled the battle outside raging will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Come mothers and fathers throughout the land And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are a-changing The line it is drawn and the curse it is cast The slow one now will later be fast As the present now will later be past the order is rapidly fading And the first one now will later be last For the times they are a Well, man. 
and goes My money comes and goes My money comes and goes And rolls and flows And rolls and flows Through the holes in the pockets of my clothes You know, back in 1964 at the Newport Folk Festival, Dylan got up and he surprised everybody by playing rock and roll and playing electric guitars and half the audience booed and I was sitting in the audience and I was pretty surprised as well. It was an interesting moment in music history and it was a, it was a real change in, in terms of, of what happened in the folk world. Uh, Pete Seeger, the rumors had it that Pete was apoplectic about the fact that, that Dylan went on the stage and threatened to cut the mic wire with an axe. But I think all of that is bullshit. And uh, because of all the people who have done so well by Dylan, Pete Seeger loved Bob Dylan. Pete Seeger recorded Bob Dylan. Pete Seeger led Bob Dylan and was led by Bob Dylan. There's so many things that, about Dylan to, to influence a master like Seeger. And here is here is one of the best recordings I know. Here's Pete Seeger with... It's a hard rains are gonna fall. Where have you been, my blue-eyed son? Where have you been, my darling young one? I've strayed on the side of twelve misty mountains. I've walked and have crawled on six crooked highways. I've stepped in the middle of seven sad forests I've been out in front of a dozen dead oceans Been ten thousand miles in the mouth of a graveyard And it's hard, 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 hard It's a hard rains are gonna fall 
What did you see, my blue-eyed son? What did you see, my darling young one? I saw a newborn babe with the wild wolves around it. I saw a highway of golden with nobody on it. I saw a black branch with a blood that kept dripping. Saw a room full of men with their hammers a bleeding. I saw a white ladder all covered with water. Saw ten thousand talkers whose tongues were all broken. Saw guns and sharp swords in the hands of young children, and it's hard, 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 hard. It's a hard range, gonna fall. What did you hear, my blue-eyed son? What did you hear, my darling young one? I heard the roar of a thunder. It roared out a warning. Heard the roar of a wave that could drown the whole world. Heard one hundred drummers whose hands were blazing. Heard ten thousand whispering and nobody listening. Heard the song of a poet that died in the gutter. Heard the sound of a clown that cried in the alley. Heard the sound of one person who cried he was human, and it's hard, 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 hard. It's a hard range that's gonna fall. Who did you meet, my blue-eyed son? Who did you meet, my darling young one? I met a young child beside a dead pony. I met a white man who walked a black dog. I met a young woman whose body was burning. I met a young girl; she gave me a rainbow. I met one man; he was wounded in love. I met another man; he was wounded in hatred. And it's hard. Hard, hard, hard. It's a hard range. I'm gonna fall. Well, what do you do now, my blue-eyed son? What'll you do now, my darling young one? I'm going back out. For the rain starts a falling, I'll walk to the depths of the deepest dark forest, where the people are many and their hands are all empty, where the pellets of poison are flooding my waters, where the home in the valley meets the dark, dirty prison, where the executioner's face is always well hidden. Where hunger is ugly, where souls are forgotten, where black is the color, where none is the number, and I'll see it and tell it and think it and breathe it, and reflect from the mountain so all souls can see it, and I'll stand on the ocean until I start sinking, but I'll know my song well before I start singing, and it's hard, hard. Hard, hard. It's a hard range. I'm gonna fall. That was Pete Seeger with "It's a Hard Range I'm Gonna Fall." Quite the classic. Next week, we're going to do a show about the talking blues. It's a very interesting uh, element in folk music. You might know talking union if you're a political union person listening to this show. But talking union came somewhere. Here, I, you know what? We're just going to give you a little bit of a teaser on next week's show. Here, for this little teaser, is our friend, 
Mr. Bob Dylan. Here's a foreign song I learned in Utah. Ha. Va. Ha va. Na. Ha va na. Gi. Ha va na gi. Lo. Havana Gila Orlai La Ha Va Na Gi La Blues with Bob Dylan. That's it for this week, folks. See you next week. That is Alert Radio for February 4th, 2010. I'm Jeff Hughes, and special thanks to Selena Serbinuk for teching the entire show in the absence of Tommy Allen. Our thanks as usual to executive producer and publisher of Canadian Dimension magazine, Saigonic. And Tommy Allen, senior technical producer. Our intern technician, Selena Serbinuk. Our alert headline writer, Chris Webb. Around the Left in Seven Days comes to us from Ben Wood. And of course, Mitch Podolik with Music is the Weapon. Alert Radio is a production of Canadian Dimension Magazine. And you can hear it in 12 cities across the country in community and campus radio stations. You can also log on to rabble.ca or canadiandimension.com. And if you'd like to send us your ideas, comments, or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at alert at canadiandimension.com. We'd like to remind alert listeners that the current issue of Canadian Dimension magazines is now on newsstands. For a glimpse of the articles and content, check out canadiandimension.com. <laughs>